This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Well, good morning. Still morning. And hallelujah and amen to the service so far. I just feel uplifted already. If you're a visitor here, uh, we rotate speakers. And I'm sorry you drew the short end of the stick this morning. <laughs> you stuck with me today. But... Um, I pray that uh, the thoughts this morning will be as beneficial to you as, as they have to me. I, um, I put that there this morning not to trump anything. It's far below what's underneath and behind it there. But it's a good day to have a good day. It really is one of my favorite sayings. Uh, I keep that at home on my desk. It just resonates with me. Uh, and I think it's one of my favorite sayings because it just, you know, it reminds me that no matter what happens today, I can still control my attitude, right? I can still control my response. And sometimes days seem out of control, right? And it's harder some days to have a good attitude. But regardless, every day, it's a good day to have a good day. And how we uh, approach situations or, or people, you know... I. It says a lot about who we are. It says a lot about our attitude. And how do we approach life? How do we con- confront problems and, and confront issues? You know, there's, <clears throat> there's a lot of sayings out there like that one, and there's a lot of references you know the the cup half full versus half empty you know type of of analogies um but you know which one are we are we naturally and and patently a, a pessimistic or an optimistic type of person how do we approach life do we have you know, an eagerness when we wake up in the mornings? Or are we uh, waking up discouraged? Do we have a kind of worn down and defeated type attitude? If not always, maybe recently or at times. Do we cringe at what we perceive as going to be another long work day and what's the world going to throw at us today that's going to be another headache you know we we all get into these uh 
these little slumps sometimes? Or do we wake up ready to work and advance God's kingdom and serve our neighbors? Or are we looking only for the next chance to, to serve ourselves? Do we have a spirit of pride or a spirit of humility? You know, there's a lot of questions and I want to I want to ask one here. Uh, how important to us is our relation to God, our relationship with Him? And I think it was Brother Brian that mentioned this morning. It's uh, we're not just Christians on Sundays, you know. What is our our what do our days look like? How are our weeks? How are things going? Uh, with our relationship with God because when things are right and good and we're close and connected to Him, we talk to Him a lot probably. And sometimes when things aren't going so well, we kind of distance ourselves from Him sometimes. And, and so how, how important is our relationship with God? I'd say... About as important as anything could ever be. And likewise, how important is our approach to Him? And that's kind of what I wanted to look at just briefly. This is a, a short, simple sermon this morning. Um, but how we approach God, you know, it says a lot about who we are and, um, and our attitude. Life throws a lot of things our way. Our perspectives can change. Our attitudes can change sometimes. And with it, as we mentioned, our relationship with God can change sometimes. Our approach to Him. You know, I want to be optimistic all the time. I do. It's what I want. I want to be eager all the time to serve God eager for what lies ahead. I want to be a hard worker for the Lord. I want to be uh, humble. I want to be unselfish. But sometimes I'm not. I'm not. I'm not that way all the time. I try to be, but hard things happen, right? To every one of us. Sometimes I'm the opposite of what I want to be. And when the going gets rough, how do we respond? And how do we approach God? Do we become like Jonah, you know? I think we all know that story, but do we, do we run and hide, you know? Maybe try to distance ourselves from, from Him, try to avoid God and... and um, there's no escaping. But once we maybe bend our will a little bit, does that prideful spirit come back like Jonah? You know, he was worried about losing a little bit of shade, a little bit of comfort, instead of what's truly important. <clears throat> when life gets rough or there's a big task ahead, do we automatically turn towards excuses? You know, Moses did that. Um, 
Exodus chapter 3, Moses protested to God. Kind of starts off right there, doesn't it? His will wasn't in line, was it? 100%. He protested to God. He said, who am I? Who am I? To appear before Pharaoh. Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Two verses later, but Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, you know, wah, wah, he keeps talking, wah, wah. He ends that verse with, well, well, what should I tell them? You know, excuses, right? Exodus 4 and 1, but Moses protested again. So what if they won't believe me or they won't listen to me? And then a little further down, verse 10, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh, Lord, you know, these other excuses haven't worked. Well, uh, I'm just not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm, I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. I, I get tongue-tied, and, and my words get tangled. <laughs> Can relate, right? Can relate to that. Our attitude, what's in our hearts, it affects our approach to God. And when, uh, you know, God made us in His infinite wisdom, in His image, and we have emotions and we have logic, you know, and sometimes those two, one overrides the other, or sometimes they butt heads. Uh, but when emotions are high and our rational side gets as low or overshadowed, you know, we can do or say things that we wouldn't normally. And Jess shared something with me a while back. She learned from someone else, uh, when emotions are high, don't react, you know, respond. And I've really kicked that around for a few months now Um, because it's easy when emotions are high to react you know if you're in a hard situation emotions are high you react and then you just do something you wouldn't normally so don't react at our emotion instead hit the pause button take a moment let the emotion settle and choose a, a rational response it's easier said than done Job He knew a thing or two about difficulties, hard times in life. And you see a lot of emotion in Job, but you also see the rational side trying to process the horrific things that happened to him, you know. And it's all wrapped up there, but I kind of want to look at a verse in Job in reference to our approach to God. And and that's kind of the overarching theme, is our approach to God. Job knew a thing or two about difficulties. And I'm I'm so thankful God provided us his example to look at. Um, You know, he was in a dark place after losing everything. I mean, he lost it all. He lost it all. And comparatively, when we're in a rough patch, I mean, 
it doesn't compare probably to Job, right? <clears throat> Job chapter 23 is where the verse I'd like to focus on is, but down towards the end of chapter 23, verse 17, you know, Job is responding to one of his friends that came, and um, in verse 17, it kind of gives you a, a picture of his state of mind. You know, Job says in 23 and verse 17, he says, darkness, darkness is all around me. Thick, impenetrable darkness is everywhere. I mean, that's low. That's pretty low. <clears throat> if we back up a little further in Job 23, verse 3, he says, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. You know, he's talking about the Lord, how he searches to the east, the west, north, say he, he can't find him. In verse 3, he says, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. And I appreciate the prayer this morning. Uh, you know, he started it off that, that we might in our prayer approach his throne with humility. And so, how should we approach God? And I think before doing so, uh, I think we'd be wise to consider the throne, the seat that is referenced here, that God himself is upon. Isaiah chapter 6, it says... Um, Isaiah is uh, referencing um, one of his uh, visions. He said in that year, or in the year that King Uzziah died, I, he said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train. It filled the temple and above it stood the seraphims and one had six wings and and with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet and with two he, f he flew i mean just amazing visions you know that testifies to god's just his creativity his power his infinite just ability you know i marvel at the human body that god created I mean, scientists are still with all the, they can't figure out half of us, <laughs> half of what's going on in these bodies. And here God has created so much more, you know, the galaxies that we see through these new fancy web telescope that's up there, you know, down to the, the smallest particles that the Hadron Collider, there's all kind of stuff that scientists are trying to get better views and closer and further views of what God's created that he spoke into existence. And I just marvel at these, you know, I've never seen a seraphim. I've never seen a cherubim. But I can only imagine how amazing they are. And Isaiah is seeing this, and, and he said one cried unto another and they said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth 
is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. Such a powerful just vision. And the house, it was filled with smoke. I mean, this whole reading just resonates God's power, doesn't it? And then Ezekiel, first chapter, verse 26, starting there. He's talking about another vision, Ezekiel, a vision that he saw with these, these, these creatures that God has created. And, and uh, he gets down to this part at the end of chapter 1, verse 26. Above the surface was something that looked like a throne. It was made of blue lapis lazuli, and on this throne high above was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. And from what it appeared to be his waist up, he looked like gleaming amber, flickering like a, f- a fire. And from his waist down, he looked like a burning flame, shining with splendor. All around him was a glowing halo, like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. And this is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. And, and when I saw it, I fell face down on the ground. And I heard someone's voice speaking to me. So when we seek to approach the seat of God, as Job mentions, understanding that kind of that just the whole relationship between the Creator and us, one of the creations, I mean, it puts a damper on our pride. We can't help but have our pride dampened when we're in that position. When we seek to approach the seat of God, it makes us understand our place, right? in God's creation. Uh, it makes us recognize His power and His glory. And that is something that, I don't know about you, but I need on a daily basis. Because pride can puff us up. It can make us think that we're more than what we really are. And that can resonate down through all kinds of things, how we interact with other people, our attitude. When we ask for audience with God through prayer, we are forced to realize that God dwells in the holiest of holies, of all places and the you know his purity is such that i mean the heavens just appear unclean before him he is so perfectly pure he sits upon the throne of holiness and and as we read you know these glorious creatures that he made the, the they continually cry out before him holy holy Holy, and, and, and when we approach God with this understanding of who He is compared to who we are, 
I mean, how can we not do as Ezekiel did and, and fall face down on the ground before him in our approach? I kind of wanted to look at this just as a side note because sometimes I approach God in prayer without taking a pause. You know, it's more of a reaction, not a response, like a measured, thoughtful response. And it's easy to just jump in and in the middle of a difficulty or whatever. And that's great, but I think we could benefit, I know I could, from sometimes just stopping for a minute and recognizing who I'm praying to. How am I approaching such an amazing creator? Is it with anger in my heart? Is it with a sense of impatience? Um, do I approach him sometimes just mainly when I need something? I put in a quarter for prayer and expect something out real quick. You know, we've heard he's not a gumball machine. Um, or do we approach prayer and our relationship with God as a continual, um, but a humble, you know, do we recognize who he is and his power, his authority, and approach it? in that manner. Hebrews 4.16 calls it a throne of grace. It's a place that says that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that we can only approach God through Jesus Christ as the propitiation through the person and the work of Christ should never be forgotten. 1 John 4 and 10 says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And a couple chapters back, 1 John 2, first couple verses, My little children, these things... Write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So back to Job 23, those two verses there, verses 3 and 4. Oh, that I knew, Job says, where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. You know, he had a lot he was wrestling with. And he just, you know, he had all this emotion, he had this rational side, and he was just, he just wanted to plead his case before God before the Lord, and he wanted to just, he felt like he was abandoned. I mean, here he is, everything's taken away, including his health, and he's trying to figure out why is all this happening. Sometimes we're in the same place. 
Sometimes it just feels like everything's taken away and we don't understand why. What did I do wrong? Well, Job's such a great book. Verse 4, he says, I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. And, and that old word argument, it doesn't mean, I think, so much like contentious, like when we argue with someone, it's just, you know, you're presenting your case um, before the judge. <clears throat> I think when we approach, when we approach our Lord in prayer and order our cause before Him, we need to keep some things in mind. You know, one, we've kind of talked about Knowing our place and the order of things and who we're talking to. Um, that He is infinitely our superior. <laughs> and knowing our just utter unworthiness. Isaiah 64 and 6, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. We should have the approach that, uh, that David, David did so many times, but in Psalms, you know, all through Psalms. 143, Psalms 143, first couple verses, he says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. <clears throat> Listen to my plea. Answer me. Because you are faithful and righteous, I see him just melding his spirit in with the Lord's in, this, in these verses. You know, he's aligning himself to God. Listen to my plea and answer me because you are faithful and righteous. Don't put your servant on trial for no one's innocent before you. So as we order our cause before Him, as Job says, we should approach Him like David just did here, in the spirit of true sincerity. You know? From the heart. Sincere. John 4.24 says, For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit. And in truth, Psalms 139, verse 23-24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. I think this is NLT. Just a little. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me. I mean, just laying it out there that offends you. Point it out and lead me along the path of everlasting life. As we order our cause before Him, we should have that true sincerity. We should also have the attitude of submission and obedience to His will. You know, as we express our um, helplessness, our 
darkness, misery, whatever it is in these hard times, we call on God to hear us. You know, to help us, to deliver us. But after all that is pleaded, we're on His time. We're on His time. And we should be satisfied that His way is best, whatever or whenever that is. Job. Oh, that I knew where I might find Him that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and I would fill my mouth with arguments, with my case. <clears throat> and as David and so many others have before us, before we present ourselves as we approach God's throne, because we have, a, for whatever reason, this fervent, wrestling spirit uh, like Job did here, and, and we plead before him. What, what are some of these arguments, these cases, you know, that we can bring before God? And, and um, there's so many examples. Uh, you know, you look at... Uh, oh, goodness. There's just so many... Uh, Will you destroy the city if there's a hundred righteous or ten or three or whatever? You know, we can plead our case and God will listen to us. And, um, you know, but one of the arguments that we can plead with our Creator uh, as we approach His throne is, is the argument of His, His goodness. I mean, His universal goodness. Psalms 145 and 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are all over. They're over all His works. Matthew 5:45, That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He is good. He's so good, He... His goodness blesses everyone, you know, whether you're good or evil. You still are benefiting from His goodness. Matthew 7, verse 9, You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a, a stone? Instead, if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? <laughs> of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? I mean, He is good and He knows. We can plead our case in alignment with His goodness. And, and, and there's the argument of His promises, you know, His love that's already been shown to us in the past. You know, a lot of times in the Old Testament, um, he wanted to, he had to remind the children of Israel, it's like, why are you even worried right now? Don't you remember? I just parted the seas. I gave you water from the rock. I fed you manna and quail and uh, taking care of you. 
He's promised us that He will hear us, He will deliver us, He will supply our needs, and He will never leave or forsake us. He's been our help since before we were born. What has He not done for us? He's blessed us so richly, so freely, and we have all reason to believe that He will continue to do so. And there's the argument of His work within us. Wrapping up uh, Romans chapter 8. We'll read a few verses there. Romans 8 and 18. And yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. And against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day where, when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. And we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He promises. says we are given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But we hope, uh, we were given this hope when we were saved. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit, it helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. When we plead, when we approach His throne and we uh, plead our case, and uh, as Job said, um, order my cause before Him. I mean, we need to keep in mind the things we've talked about, the argument for His universal goodness, the, the argument for His Spirit working within us, for His faithfulness to His promises He's made, the love He's already shown us in the past. And then we can also plead the argument of the advocacy of His Son. A little further down in Romans 8, verse 33. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for His own? No one. For God Himself have, has given us right standing with Himself. So who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus... He died for us and was raised to life for us. And He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from uh, Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. No doesn't mean that. 
when the going gets tough, let's not react just off the cuff, you know, but reflect and respond in light of what we've talked about. Let's consider our relationship with our Creator. Consider our attitude as we approach Him. And, and like Job, approach His throne with humility and order our causes before Him. And, and, you know, let's not shy away from Him like Jonah or give excuses like, like Moses, but instead let us plea, plead our arguments, our case, uh, in a way that's based on God's truths and a reflection of all the above, in a way that glorifies Him, in a way that glorifies His cause, knowing that we have a high priest like no other. When we're weak and we're pleading before our God, when we're the strongest. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, And He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, despite that thorn in the flesh, whatever it is. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me, and therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. <clears throat> it's attitude. In reproaches and necessities and persecutions, I take pleasure in these and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Let us pay attention to our approach to our God. It's not something we take lightly. God bless you for your attention kindly this morning. Uh, we have an invitation song, and if you know if you're not a Christian yet, but are ready to profess your faith, to confess your faults, to to repent and be joined with Jesus in His. And his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and in uh, the waters of baptism. Or if you need the prayers of the church, for whatever reason, we have a uh, an invitation song. Uh, come up to the front pew here, and um, at this time, we're going to stand and, and sing that song. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.